Praise God. Well, it is fantastic to be here tonight. And I want to first just say thank you to the Denton Church. Doesn't it look great in here? It feels clean and refreshing and ready for God to move. Amen? How many know you got to prepare if you want God to do something? And we take for granted sometimes the practical things like all the things that are done in a building and the preparations that go into the services. But we appreciate Denton and Pastor Blake and all that's gone in here tonight. It's, it's great being here. I, uh, we were going to drive, and the more I thought about that 14-hour drive, the more I realized I'm over 50. <laughs> I, you would have had to pry me out of that car by the time I got here. So at the last minute, we decided to fly and uh, got into the airport this afternoon. And so we got a rental car, and, and uh, he says, we're going to put you in a Mini Cooper. And you know what I thought of? Mark Wahlberg, the Italian job. So I, I told Rob, I said, we get a Mini Cooper. She's like rolling her eyeballs at me, and she says, I don't know how we're going to fit in that thing. The guy tells me, he says, uh, you might want a bigger car. I said, no, we can use that. We can. He says, well, you might be able to cram that stuff in, and we pretty much did. But So I got in that car, and I took a picture, and I sent it to the kids. And uh, and so I thought, this is a cool-looking car, and... And I'm thinking, you know, I'm thinking Mark Wahlberg in my mind. And so anyways, Tim, my son-in-law, texts back. He says, that's the car that Mr. Bean drives. <laughs> I said, I was thinking more of Mark Wahlberg. And Anna texts back. She says, that's a pretty far stretch, Dad. She said, maybe Mom believes you're Mark Wahlberg and we believe you're Mr. Bean. And I asked Robin, and she says, I think you're having a midlife crisis. So, but anyhow, no matter what, God works with us, and it's great to be here tonight. Amen. I'm thankful tonight for all of you and for what God's doing. You know, we're not high rollers here tonight, but we're serious about what God's doing in our lives. How many appreciate what Jesus did on the cross? Amen. I'm serious about discipleship. I'm serious about the work of God. I realized a long time ago, I don't, I don't tell people we're the only thing going or I'm not into that whole thing, but I tell you what, I am thankful for where God's placed me, and I'm going to be plugged in with all that I've got. Amen. I want to preach tonight. I would planned initially just to preach a message on discipleship because I, I see today that one of the greatest needs in the church is real disciples. And a real disciple is a pretty rare thing. There are many p people that will show up to church and that will get involved to some degree. But real disciples are a rare thing. It's a little bit comforting to me that after all of Jesus' ministry and all the thousands that were ministered to, on the day of Pentecost there were 120 real disciples. It's pretty significant when you consider how many were touched by the gospel. And uh, so I was thinking about this thought of, of discipleship. And, you know, you can go a lot of directions with this. Uh, you know, you can talk about dedication. You can go a, a lot of different ways when you talk about discipleship. But the thought that God put on my heart was that real disciples are those that have learned to be restored because there are no perfect disciples. I began to think about, you know, we can talk about you know, a disciple ought to be this, and a disciple ought to be that. But friend, I want to tell you, there are disciples, even Jesus' best disciples, had many flaws and problems. Aren't you glad for that tonight? 
They had problems. And so the key to longevity, the key to being a real disciple, is you've got to learn how to be restored. Because you're, sooner or later, you're going to need to be restored. And you know what? Not only do you need to be restored, you need to know how to restore others. Pastors in this place, we can sit around and wait for the perfect disciples, or we can learn to restore the ones that God gives us and move forward. Peter was restored. He was the number, uh, kind of the number one disciple in, in certain ways, and uh, he had some terrible failures. So I want to look tonight at some keys of restoration. We're all going to make some wrong decisions as disciples. We're all going to, at times, get off course. I, I actually tried to get away from preaching this sermon tonight, but I felt like there are some here tonight, and you've given up on being the disciple that you once thought you could be. But I'm telling you tonight, God hasn't given up. And he will bring you back. See, I'm here tonight because I've learned to be restored. Not because I've done everything right. Far from it. You say, well, what have you done wrong? I'm not going to tell you. Amen? That's, that's between me and Jesus. But you know what? I have done. I've had some pretty big mess-ups in my life. We all need to be restored. Let's go to Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Galatians 6, verse 1. It says, Dear brothers and sisters, if another Christian is overcome by sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help or restore that person back onto the right path. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Share each other's troubles and problems. And in this way, obey the law of Christ. If you think you are too important to help someone in need, you are only fooling yourself. You are, you are really a nobody. Don't you love the NLT? It just puts it right where we live today. He says here that, that everybody at times needs to be restored, and that is, as the church, and if we're going to have disciples, I'm going to tell you today some of the very best disciples in the Cortez Church are people that have gone through some of the deepest waters, and they were restored. I'm not interested in the person that never has, has had a mess up. I'm not interested in the person that has done everything perfectly. All it does is depress me. But I'm interested in the person that got restored. I see hope in my, for myself when I see other people that were restored. Now, this word restored means to be repaired. Tonight, God's going to repair some of us in this place. It means to be mended or to be made perfect again. How many of you looked back and said, you messed up, and you said, God, I wish I could just go back to this time. You ever said that? I wish I could go back to this place before I committed this sin or had that failure or did this or, or made that mistake or got involved in this or that. Well, I want to tell you tonight, God will take you back. He will restore you or mend you. You know, it's like a... Uh, the best furniture, I feel, is the old furniture. In our house, we have, uh, our, our table has, I think, seven or nine leaves. It's solid oak. It's more than 100 years old. My dad uh, started a church in Dolores, Colorado, and this old lady, she was about 70, in her upper 70s when she got saved. She was a charter member of a Baptist church there, and she got saved and started speaking in tongues. So she got out of the Baptist church, and... Uh, Anyways, long story short, her name was Miss Lily, and we have Miss Lily's table. Now, that table is fantastic. We use it every day. 
Thanksgiving, we put all nine leaves in and we pack people around that table. You know why? It's, it's functional, it's wonderful, it's useful because it's been restored. Can I tell you that, that quality things, and the work of God is quality, amen? The best things are those things that are restored. She had a chair that, that, that we have at the house too that was restored, that was, is tremendous. And I believe the best the disciples are those that are restored, those that have been re redeemed and brought back into right condition. Now, what do we, why, why do we need this tonight? I thought God changed us, and, and we kind of ironed things out, and we just kind of flew uh, like a bird from that point. In reality, as you go through the Bible, you're going to see that just because you get saved, that's the beginning of something, Amen. And even, uh, even as an, an older person, which is always about 20 or 30 years older than you, uh, you're going to still realize that uh, you're going to make more mistakes. I wish there was, a, you know, there was an age limit on mistakes. You know, once you, once you roll past 50, you don't make them anymore. But it ain't that way. As you, you say, what I'm, ta I'm talking about people that get off track in rebellion. Let me just talk to those. You, you, you've gotten off track with a rebellious heart. You ever had a rebellious heart? I'm just going to do what I want to do. And, you know, Israel came out of Egypt, tremendous deliverance, but they got rebellious and stubborn. And it says in Hebrews 3, verse 12, Be careful, then, dear brothers and sisters, and make sure that your own hearts, you know, God always gets us, we're not here to, you're not here to fix your husband. You're not here to fix your wife. You're here to deal with your own heart, Amen. He says, make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turning away from the living God. You must warn each other every day as long as it is called today so that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. He, you'd think he was talking to horrible people. He's talking to the church. For if we are faithful to the end, trusting God as firmly as when we first believed, we will share in in." all that belongs to Christ. But never forget the warning. Today you must listen to his voice. Don't harden your hearts against him as Israel did when they rebelled. And who were those who rebelled against God even though they heard his voice? Weren't they the ones that Moses led out of Egypt? So Israel rebelled. Can I tell you that a lot of disciples hit a rebellious spot in their lives and they get off course. You know, a personal friend of mine and somebody I tremendously respect is Pastor Rod Santa Stevens. And, you know, Pastor Rod, let me tell you one of the reasons I have such a respect is, is he got off course at a point in his life. I've heard him share his testimony at conference. And he got rebellious and he went his own direction. But you know, today he's preaching the gospel. Today he's a tremendous partner in this fellowship. But you know, I, I can name you, for, for every one like that, I can name you ten others that got their panties in a twist about something, and that's the last we saw of them. Don't be that disciple. Amen? If you've been rebellious, uh, you know, join the real world. Men are basically rebels. I have grandkids, and they're all rebels. Amen? They're, they're full of rebellion. And, and you know what? But you can deal with a rebellious heart. You can get it right. And God can cleanse away. You know, rebellion ruins your family. It ruins your kids, parents. 
If you want to be rebellious and you want to run, I have one couple in our church and we were talking just last week, several years ago. They went through a time and uh, they were going, they got upset about some things and they wanted to leave. And he said the thing that the Holy Spirit kept dealing with him, if you do this, you're going to wreck your kids. Today their kids are doing fantastic. And I have no doubt that has to do because they dealt with that rebellious thing in their hearts. And God helped them to their credit. So tonight, if you got rebellious, you know, we, we all manifest that differently. Some are real out front and obvious. I've had people leave in, in a stink and write about me on Facebook. I've had others just kind of that silent, slow burn of a rebellion. And they sit with you and they stay with you when you wish they'd leave. Amen? And just a, But I'm telling you, God can help us all. He can help rebels. How many are glad he can help rebels tonight? Secondly, another way that disciples get off course is by the pull of the world. And it says in 2 Timothy 4, 9, please come as soon as you can. Demas has deserted me because he loves the things of this life and has gone to Thessalonica. I don't know everything about Demas, but he's mentioned in several places. I believe he was probably a pretty good disciple. I don't know if this was the end of him. I pray that he got, got it right and maybe went on to heaven. I don't know uh, what his end is, but I do know that, that any of us, that the pull of the world can sideline us as disciples. You will never be committed to the, the destiny that God has for if, if the world pulls you to itself. And we're all tempted. We're all tempted just to worry about making money, having the right house, doing this, having the right retirement plan, so on and so forth, none of which are bad in themselves. But I'm going to tell you, the world wants to own you. And there's a pull. And Jesus told every one of the disciples, leave and follow me. They had to make a decision. Many people want to be a disciple, but the world and the love of the world and the pull for the things of the world kills their passion for God. I, when we were years ago as a, in a band for his ever pastoring, and we sang a song called Suburban Josephine. Anybody ever heard that song? It says she thinks she can't remember what her calling should have been. To serve the Lord was her desire when she was 17. But she fell in love with someone else who she could touch and see, and now she lives her life at home as Suburban Josephine. Laundries, floors, diapers, chores, feeds the, feed the kids by noon. She has to get her hair done quick because her hubby's going to get home soon. Anyways, I don't remember the rest of them, but she looks out the window one day and she sees people going up in the rapture and she ain't going up. How many know I don't want that to happen in my life? But you know, you can, he says, Luke 21, watch out, don't let me find you living in careless ease and drunkenness, and watch this, and filled with the worries or the cares of this life. Don't let that day catch you unaware as in a trap. Sometimes things that seem like a blessing are a trap. He says, for that day will come upon everyone living on the earth. Keep a constant watch. See, that tells me every disciple has to watch and not be trapped by the cares of life. The, and you know, the cares of life are those things that, that we say they're legitimate and we legitimize them. But friend, I want to tell you, you have to travel light if God's going to be number one in your life. Because you can't do everything. You will not get everything you want in this world and have everything that Jesus has for you. You'll have to make some decisions. But I've seen disciples, and they just faded away. Not because they went out and committed some great sin. Pretty soon, more hours on the job, more this, more that, involved here, involved there, and the cares like Demas, and they have to be restored. I've made decisions in my life 
to get back on track concerning cares of this world. Cares that would steal our very destiny. Cares that at, at least will, will steal your fruitfulness that God has for you. So, we, you know, we, we can all have carnal cares. The Bible talks a lot about cares, about the deceitfulness of riches. One guy said this, he said, Worries of this life and the lure of wealth and the desire for things plagued the first century disciples just as they do us today. How easy it is for our daily routines to become overcrowded. A life packed with materialistic pursuits crowds out God's word and leaves us unfruitful for him. Stay free so you can hear God when he speaks. So tonight, there's disciples that have been sidelined because of the cares of life. The third, a third thing that I see is, is we sin. We have a failure of some kind. You know, Peter blatantly denied and, and cursed the Lord. He sinned. He failed. But I'm telling you, Peter went on, and we're going to see Peter in heaven. Can you say amen? Because he repented. There are some of you here today, and you think, because I have sinned here, I have failed here, uh, it's over. That is a lie. I'm here to tell you today that it, that is not God's desire for you. Peter was restored. Let me just talk for a minute about uh, moral failures. Friend, I'm going to tell you, God can, God can take you beyond a moral failure. I, we don't justify it. We don't downplay it. But some of the greatest men in the Bible had moral failures. David committed adultery. I, 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 I've thought a lot about David, and I think that God put... There's not too many of us that have done more than murder and commit adultery. Okay? So there's hope for all of us. I believe he put one of the worst scenarios in there. Everybody can go, at least I haven't done that. Or if you have, you can say, David did that too, and I can get up and go on. Okay? So, so many people, I know people, many people, and I've, uh, I've struggled with sins and failures in my own life. Friend, I want to tell you that God has a plan for you if you've had a failure. If you've had a moral failure, it's not over today. God will restore you. He will help you. Psalms 51, verse 12, says, Restore to me again, David says, to the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. You know, how many appreciate the ministry of Catherine Kuhlman? Catherine Kuhlman, I tell you what, one of the best books you can read, um, Glory, what's the name with glory in it? Anyways, it's a Catherine Kuhn book. With, with, I can't remember the exact name of it. It's fantastic, though. And I, I've, as I've read through that, this woman, she had light from heaven in her soul. You read some of her, uh, her sermons. She was on fire for God. She started out as a young girl, and she would travel around. She, she actually preached in chicken coops for, for churches. And she started, and, and she traveled with her friend. And they would go in. Her friend played the organ. She would preach. And uh, uh, fantastic meetings. God began to do some things. But then she had a moral failure. And she got involved with a man that she shouldn't have got involved in. Ended up divorcing him in the end. But you know that all of that was before what we know about Catherine Kuhlman. Some tremendous healings. Tell you what, you if you're if you're battling, read her, read the book. It's not actually by her, but she puts it out called Never Too Late. And I'm telling you, you read some of the in modern times, tremendous healings. But you know what? She went beyond. She's a restored disciple. She's not a perfect disciple. She's a restored disciple. See how many sin 
a, a, a moral failure, a, a substance abuse failure. I tell you what, some of the best people that I've worked with over the years are people that, I, I remember one lady that was a tremendous, uh, sweet spirit, was in our praise and worship, and she went through a time and she started drinking, and, and uh, uh, but you know what? God restored her, and she was, she was back in the ministry, and back doing that, what God had called her to do. So if you might have, you might have gone off, fell off the wagon, amen? Get back up. God's not done with you yet. Pornography is a huge thing in our society. You can beat it. You can beat it and God can use you even if you've had that failure. I don't justify it. I don't downplay it. But I'm telling you that God can restore you. Let me re- leave you with just a few things tonight. Then I want to pray for some people. The first thing we need to see is, because you can listen to me tonight, but you need to know the heart of God. I'm not, I don't restore you. Now, I help. The Bible says we need to help those who are restored. I'm not the restorer. Your pastor's not the restorer, but we help restore. We're part of that process. But you need to know the real restorer, and that's Jesus Christ. Let me show you. Let me give you solid ground for what I'm saying tonight. We need to know the heart of God. Luke 15, 4, verse 7, it says, And uh, what man of you, Jesus speaking, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, that's the disciple that got caught up in the world or that involved himself in pornography or did something, does not leave the 90 and 9 in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. Friends, so many times we think that God is against us because we messed up. Now, he doesn't justify it, but what he wants is to restore us. There's no glory to God for the person that just beats themselves and beats themselves and beats themselves. When your kids are disciplined, do you want them to go around acting like a dog for the next 20 years? No. Let's, be, let's take the lesson and let's be on and see what God's going to do. Amen? So he says here, he gets, he, you know, so many times when people come back, we're just like, well, we'll see if they make it. That's not Jesus' attitude. He says, oh, they want to... They want to go again. Put them on my shoulder. Haul them in. Think of the prodigal son. That father was standing there looking down the road. And the Bible says he runs towards the person that wants restored. Oh, because friend, let me tell you, if people don't feel there's hope, they'll never come. You think they're going to come when, 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 when the church is looking down their nose? I'm not saying we don't deal with things. Sin carries its own penalty. When you have a failure, you will face enough pain in your own spirit from that failure. We don't See, sometimes we think we need to apply the penalty. The church needs to give you the penalty. No, the church, to, sin has its own penalty. If you, if you have an affair, you, there's enough pain. I don't need to do anything. I need to try to lift that burden because you'll have enough pain from, the, from just the sin itself. Sin carries its own penalty. So what we need is somebody to show us that there's something on the other side of that penalty. So this, so the father's heart, he, the, the father stood and he, when he saw that son, the son had wasted everything, had, had grievous sins, had trashed the name and the testimony of the father. Yet when the father saw him, what I want you to see, that is Jesus' heart towards you tonight. That's not just for so-and-so. See, we, some, you know, the devil either tells us that our sin is no big deal or it's worse than everybody else and there's no hope for us. He, one way or the other. But God's heart tonight... Oh, he's, he's looking at you tonight, and you say, well, I don't know if I can be much use. Yes, you can, because I'm telling you, you know what? If, if you had to pick, the elder brother, he was the perfect disciple. 
I mean, I'm talking about. He was a perfect disciple. He never had no mistake. He, he hadn't done what that brother done. And, but if I had to pick which one I want for a disciple, I'll take the prodigal. You know why? Because he came back. And the Bible says he who's forgiven much loves much. The people that have gone through some things, Peter loved the Lord all the more after that failure, and he was redeemed. A couple things that will help you here. Jesus restored Peter, didn't he? I'm not going to take the time, but you can read in Mark 26. Peter denied the Lord, but Jesus restored him. But, the, but there are several things that you can see that Peter did. How many want restored tonight? Maybe, you've, see, maybe you're not way off track, but how many don't, don't wait till you're way off track? Today, step back. Maybe you've just begun to get uh, a little bit off today in some area. The first thing, if you want restored, is this. You need unreserved repentance. Now, repentance, it says, and Peter left the courtyard crying bitterly. Repentance means we do not make excuses about what we did. Amen? Now, I'm not saying repentance to men. Matter of fact, something, keep it between you and Jesus, if possible. Let me know. Be wise. You don't need to go tell all your dirty laundry to somebody. In fact, sometimes you burden somebody else. What are they going to do with that? How many want, you know, does anybody like dirty laundry? You know when I travel and I don't want them searching my suitcase? I put dirty laundry. I just spread my underwear, layer over top of each one of them. And I'm sure that those TSA guys unzipped it. Send that one on, amen. One time I had, I better not say that, Amen. But repentance is this. There's no excuses. There's no, see, God looks unqualified, repentant. No excuses, no buts. You know what? If you'll repent, God can restore that marriage. If you'll repent, God can help you. See, Esau was a man that the Bible says in Hebrews, he found no place of repentance. If you will not repent... Repent is more than being sorrow. It's sorrow combined with a solid decision. You're not going back there anymore. It means if you had an affair, you're done with it. Amen? You're, you're done. You're, 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 you're putting it away. It's never going to happen again. You make that decision in your heart. As long as you say, well, I don't know if I... No, you've got to determine. Repentance is something... It's a solid decision within our heart. It may mean to making some things right. But it's a critical step. See, we live in, many people are, are never helped because they never repent. They just justify, they just excuse. The, the, you know, uh, the reason that this is happening is because of this. It's, it's my husband's fault. You know, I know I slapped him, but he made me do it. You know, uh, it's my wife's fault. You know, I, I know uh, I did this, but, but she drove me to it. No, you made the decision. Own it. Own it. Get before God and be repentant. God gives grace to the humble. Amen? So there has to be unqualified repentance. David said in Psalms 51, have mercy. Does this sound like a guy who's justified? Have mercy on me, O God. Because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin, for I recognize my shameful deeds. Well, that's, that's a heavy phrase, isn't it? When we say, God, I recognize my shameful deeds, not my little slip up. I recognize, Lord. You know, before you can get free from sin, you have to repent. 
And with repentance, there's a heaviness. There's a brokenness. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. I believe that weeping is when we're broken over our sin. He says, I recognize my shameful deeds. They haunt me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. And you will be proved right with what you say. And your judgment against me is just. So I'm talking about genuine repentance. Lord, I I have put other things before you. And I'm so sorry. Oh God, I've, I've defiled myself sexually. God, I'm so sorry. I repent I've, Lord, I've, I've entered into relationships with people and that I should not have entered into relationships with. Lord, I lied. How many of you have ever lied? Bunch of liars. You can raise your hand. Lord, I've rebelled. I've had a rebel spirit. You know how to get rid of a rebel spirit? Confess it. As long as you won't confess it, that's part of that rebel spirit working in you. When a rebel says, Lord, I've been a rebel, he's, he's on the road to freedom now. Lord, I was, I was bitter, unforgiving. Some people hold everybody else at hostage with, with, with something that they think they did wrong. Lord, I pursued pleasure and money. God, I'm sorry. James 4, 8 bears this out. It says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lam it and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. You want to be lifted up tonight? Repentance is the most blessed thing. Repent. It's that old song, it's me, it's me, O Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Not my brother, not my sister, not my mother, not my father, but it's me, O Lord, standing in the need of prayer. So repent. Let God help you. Secondly, and this is really important, you need a private meeting with Jesus. What's interesting in, let me read you something that Ironside, I read in his devotional. He says, sometime on the day of the resurrection, the Lord had a private interview with Peter. Listen to this carefully. I, I sent him a special message by the, uh, he, he sent him a special message by the women early in the morning. Okay, that's found in Mark 16, verses 6 and 7. And, and it says, but But he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified and he is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go and tell his disciples and Peter. So here's the message. Jesus says, Peter has failed. He needs restoration. He's broken. How many know Jesus ain't given up on Peter, but Peter's given up on Peter? That's the problem tonight. Some of you given up on you and God's wanting to get you on a different track here. Peter had given up on Peter. So Jesus says, go and tell Peter. But then you read in Luke 24, listen carefully. And they said to one another, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? So they rose that very hour and they returned to Jerusalem and they found the 11 and those who were with them gathered together saying, watch this, the Lord is risen indeed and he has, and has appeared to Simon. Okay, so we know, we don't know when that meeting happened or where it happened, but we know that Peter met with Jesus on that day. He had a private interview with Jesus. And I believe this is, you know, it's really easy to begin to look to men for restoration. But Peter had to be restored by Jesus, didn't he? You know, your sin is really not against me, it's against Jesus. It's not against your wife or your husband, it's against Jesus. And so you need a meeting. How did Jesus restore? First, Peter repented. But secondly, there was a need for Peter to meet with Jesus. You say, well, how does this happen? Well, it's different for everybody. But I'll tell you what. 
At times in my life, I've been up in the middle of the night saying, Jesus, help me. Pastor Jones can't fix this for me. My wife can't make it better. My kids can't make it better. Jesus, I need you. Would you talk to me? And I am telling you without fail, God has always led me in his word. You know, there's times when I've been so fragile because of my own struggles. How many know what I'm talking about? So fragile in my own struggles that if I had read something really harsh in Scripture, it would have killed me. How many of you have been there? You just, you just think there's no hope, and, and you thought, you know, it, it, if I read repent, you filthy sinner, I probably would just put a gun to my head. But I found that God's so gentle and kind to me. And he always takes me. The scriptures that jump out to me are the ones that help me. And Jesus speaks to me. Jesus talks to me. Sometimes he talks to me out of Psalms. Sometimes he talks to me out of the New Testament. Sometimes it might be in a church service like tonight. And Jesus is telling you, I haven't given up on you. I don't know what he said to Peter, but Peter had a meeting. He met with Jesus. And many times we want to just deal with men, but you have to deal with Jesus. He's the only one that can really help you. And the third thing is this. If you want restored and be, to be a restored disciple, you need to get back in the game. You need to get back. See, a lot of times we think, well, now I've got to prove myself for six years before I can do anything again. That's wrong thinking. Get back in the game. Get back in church. Get back. Start having some spiritual disciplines again. How many know what I'm talking about? Start reading your Bible again. Start showing up for a time of prayer. Get alone in that prayer closet or go down to the church and begin to get back in the game. You know, that's what heals us. It's not setting back trying to get perfect so we can get back in the game. It's getting back in the game that perfects us. Amen? And God will have you helping somebody that's struggling worse than you are. See, Peter got back in the game. And Jesus said to Peter, you know, it's interesting, Peter denied Jesus three times. And Jesus said three times, Peter, will you feed my sheep? I think he reversed all three failures. Peter denied Jesus three times, and Jesus recommissioned him three times. Do you know that Jesus is recommissioning you tonight? Say, what does that mean? Show up to church. Show up to prayer. Start outreaching again. Love somebody and, and reach out and begin to minister. You say, well, pastor, you don't know what I've done. I don't want to know what you've done. You don't need to tell me. You need to get back in the game. You need to start, you need to start getting involved again in what, what God is doing. I, I asked Pastor Rod one time when he was telling me about that. He just began to show up. And, you know, when you show up, God gives you the right things that you need. And I think it was Marie Jones that spoke to him and, and basically said, you know what, get back up and go, Rod. And he said, that sounds pretty good. And he did. See, we need to get back in the game today. David said in Psalms 51, after his repentance, he says, then I will teach your ways to sinners and they will return to you. You see, how can that adulterous murder Teach the Lord's way to sinners. It's a miracle. Amen? And you can be a part of that miracle. Amen? I'll listen to David preach anytime. When I get to heaven, I want to talk to him. Amen? He's one of the mightiest warriors in the whole Bible. Don't, don't, let me tell you something. Don't, don't throw people away. God, don't forget anything you've done in your life. Get back up. What happened before, still, you know, don't judge a person by the worst day of their life. Amen? God sees the whole man. Amen? So repent if you want to be restored tonight. Repent. 
sincerely. Secondly, you need to have a private meeting with Jesus. And third, you need to get back into running. You need to just show up and start going again. And the next thing you know, you'll be, you'll be fulfilling even greater. Somebody said God's plan B is better than his plan A. I don't know if that's true, but it works in sermons. Amen. Praise God. Let's bow our heads in this place tonight.